Welcome back, everyone, to the OGs. I am Dom Povia, joined once again by Kyle Bunch. Kyle, good week, bad week? How are things going? Uh, yeah, it's a good week. I got a got a snow day in Texas on a Sunday, built a snowman. So, you know, if nothing else, 2021 continues to be uh, be something. How how the kids is that their first experience with snow or it's their first experience with snow it's it's our first experience with two kids and snow and and realizing that we're not prepared with things like mittens so when you've got your three year old out there with wet socks on his hands you realize you're probably have some work to do if this is going to become a normal thing but uh, yeah the snowman today's the day where he's probably going to melt so we're going to see how my how my youngest does with watching the slow demise of his uh of his snow buddy but other than that interesting nice 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 uh yeah the world's been a little crazy but i like to have this as our little um oasis if you will of of, of good times and good memories and uh, we are joined this week by a guest uh, we have lang whitaker who is the gm of grizz gaming uh works with grind city and the memphis grizzlies uh but we knew him way back when when he was at slam magazine really getting that online platform really slam.com off the ground lang thanks for joining what's up man oh you guys mentioned good times that's that's my middle name so good time lang good time whitaker i i I, uh i was having some fun i posted the other day of of some of my lang memorabilia (laughs) you have more than i do it's it's impressive (laughs) yeah i really enjoyed the book man it was uh very candid uh you know it was interesting um you know i'll have to go back to it's been a couple years but you know kind of learning your background and uh, it was really interesting too if you you did not did you finish college or Yeah, you left college. Uh, you're at UGA, correct? Yeah, I went for a couple of years and then was uh, working for the weekly paper in Atlanta. Um, creative loafing at the time was the you know this is when alt weeklies were gigantic and it was the second biggest newspaper in the state of Georgia. And uh, was working there and was just like learning a million times more than I was learning in in actual school. And I figured, well, I'm just going to keep doing this. And if I have to go back and, and finish, I, I, you know, get a journalism degree or whatever I will. And I just haven't had to <laughs> <laughs> and at this point, like, I'm not really sure what I would go back to, to learn, you know, to finish. So yeah. Part of me thinks, you know, it was a history major, poli sci really, I, you know, I, I joke around that it's, it's helped me learn how to bullshit a little bit in the, in the PR realm, but uh, yeah, if you could jump right in, what's, I mean, that's what you go to school for anyway, to, you know, further your career. And if you don't need to do it, why take yeah. those on? I think one, no, one thing I've learned is like, you go to school for the connections, right. To, mm-hmm. to like meet the people. And so, 10 years from now, 15 years from now, you can call this person, that person, and, you know, somebody you went to school with who's made it a little further than you or has an end somewhere else. And so, you know, I, I understand that. And I kind of wish I'd had that at least early on, like that would have been very helpful instead of just having to kind of get thrown in there and figure it out on my own. Um, so I understand that, but well, you know, I, I also think the other part of it is the, the college experience, right? Sure. Yeah. I think a lot, me, I think I take those days for granted. Kyle, in the meanwhile, was uh, it was out in Hollywood, right? And and, and hanging in Southern Cal. I uh, hanging in Southern California, but it was a different time uh, for USC football, for downtown Los Angeles. Looked a lot like we, I missed, I missed out on a lot of fun I, compared to, compared to what it looked like afterwards. I was laying the groundwork, as they say. Yeah, uh, to come after. <laughs> so literally, Lang, what, what's cooking today? I mean, that's the other thing that that I've loved. Uh, you, you talk about carving your own path. I mean, you, you <laughs> literally do what you love when you want and 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 how you want. It's it's been nice. Uh, yeah, that that whole that's been a, an interesting sidebar the last you know during the pandemic really. Um, but I guess it started before that with GQ. Like I, you know, I I was at we'll get to this at some point, but I was at slam for a long time. Then I was at GQ for a couple of years. And when I left GQ to go to NBA digital full time, um, my contract with Turner was that I couldn't write about the NBA for other people. So my editor at GQ at the time was like, well, what else would you want to write about? And I was like, well, what about food, like cooking for guys? Like that's kind of been, it was a hobby of mine, something I did just for fun. I never wrote about it or, or kind of turned it into content. But GQ was like, you know, we don't really have anyone doing that. You can do a column on the website or something. So I was like, great. So I started doing that, did that for a while. And then when I came to Memphis to work with the Grizzlies and Grind City Media, um, I kind of took a backseat on that while I was figuring out Grizz Gaming and all this other stuff. And then when the pandemic started, the, the first, like, second or first night of the pandemic, I posted a picture of my dinner 
on Twitter and I did the hashtag quarantine just because I thought it was a funny term to use. Um, and I, I just figured, you know, whatever, maybe I'll try and post a picture every night of what I cook for dinner or just something to kind of challenge myself, keep, keep it fun during this, you know, what are we going to be quarantined here for a couple of weeks or something? Um, that was in March, but, uh, I started doing that. And then, uh, my boss called me like the first or second night and was like, Hey, do you think you could do some videos around this stuff? We're going to need content. You know, could you make a video about cooking? And so my wife ended up, I filmed the first one myself on my iPhone and kind of used iMovie and sent it to our video department here with the Grizzlies and said, I think this is how maybe we can do this and make it work where we don't have to have a camera crew inside my house. And, uh, they were like, yeah, we could work with this. And that was six months ago. And, you know, we've had a million plus views on Facebook since then. And those things have just taken off. So it's been kind of crazy. Yeah. How much of, of what you do in general has that kind of try and experiment with, with what you're doing down there in Memphis? I think, yeah, a big part of it. I mean, it's like, you know, that's one of the things I loved about slam and it's a great thing about here um, at Grand City Media is like, if you can come up with the idea, if you can pull it off, go for it, you know, <laughs> like, and especially like at slam in the early days with, with when I, we were starting slam online, it was just like, we don't have focus groups. There's no one that can tell you what's worked, what hasn't worked, whatever. If you have a good idea and you think it might work, do it, just try it and we'll see what happens. Um, so that, that's something that I think has kind of been a echo throughout my career. It's just places <laughs> I've been, it's like, if you can figure it out and figure out how to do it, go for it. I, I was just going to say that. I mean, not only the places that you mentioned, uh, you know, we mentioned slam, we mentioned GQ, MBA.com, um, but also like the classical and, and Kyle, yeah. I know, you know, you've talked a lot about this, about what's happened, say with the Deadspin crew and disruptor and tr trying to get that sort of core group of talent together to, to create something. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, just the, the classical always kind of fascinated me. I think it was ahead of its time. I think if that were yeah. to, to come out now later, probably have some great funding behind it. Um, but, you know, talk about your experience with the classical. Yeah, that was toward the end of, uh, I think it was right when I left Slam. Um, I'd been at Slam for like 12 years, something like that, a long time. Um, and was kind of trying to figure out what was next. And um, one of my good friends, uh, Nathaniel Friedman, AKA Bethlehem Shoals, AKA free Darko. Um, uh, he and I were talking I was kind of just figuring out what I was going to do next. And, um, he was like, Hey, I think we're going to start up a, a, a platform. We're going to call it the classical. And, you know, do you want to be part of this thing? And, you know, I was like, well, what do I have to lose? Like, I don't have to, <laughs> it's just like, let's try it. Let's see if it works. Um, and, you know, we, we raised, I can't remember what it was, $60,000, $70,000 on one of those GoFundMe Crowdfund types. Crowdfunded, right? A yeah. Kickstarter, yeah. Um, and, you know, we weren't sure if we were going to be able to make it work or not either, just financially to build a whole website, the back end and all that stuff and be able to pay writers to actually do stuff. Um, but we did. And we pulled it off and... Um, you know, David Roth was one of the people who was like really involved there at the beginning and a lot of other people got their kind of starts writing for us. So that was, uh, really gratifying, um, to kind of be able to do it. None of us were looking to get rich off of it or really even turn a profit. I think it was just something that we thought we could do and pull off and let's see what happens. So again, it's, it's in that same vein of all the stuff. Like if you can think of it, if you can figure it out, do it. Was it, was it more of a stopgap, or did you have, uh, you know, or, or, Hey, this will launch into something bigger. I mean, what was going into it from a, uh, from a, a goal standpoint, was it a passion play or. Yeah, it was mostly a passion. I, I mean, those guys kind of, I mean, to be honest, like I kind of came in late in the whole thing. They were, they had done a lot of the work. Um, I had, the timing was just good for me. I had just left slam. I could help them out and like help bring some more attention to it, especially from the fundraising side of things. Um, and you know, leverage my followers and all that stuff and kind of get some more eyeballs on this whole thing. Um, you know, I, I was still trying to find like a, I, I was, I think I had got a contract with slam to be like a contributing editor for a year or two. Um, I was still trying to kind of figure out what was next. Um, I had just written the book. It would just come out. So, I, I was sort of floating out there. I didn't really know what was next, but that seemed like something that would be fun to work on, fun to do, you know, best case scenario, the thing 
turns into a huge platform. Worst case scenario, we, we started this thing and made it um, out there and people are still talking about it 10 years later. So I think, you know, it worked out pretty well for us. I, I still have a chip clip somewhere upstairs. If I, yeah. I, I should have dug it out for this. I mean, <laughs> you look at, you know, Don sort of referenced some of the today that feels like something that could go raise eight figures from, from VC money. I mean, yeah. do you, do you think ever not to, not to turn the, the knife a little, but do you ever <laughs> think about like, if we had just, the, you know, it's been the, a theme for Don and I throughout this has been, if you would have just done that a few years later, would you be on an Island somewhere right now? Yeah, almost definitely. Um, you know, <laughs> there's a lot, I think of that, that a lot though, like I have a lot of ideas that just kind of probably too early for that. I remember being in a meeting at slam one time in like 2003 or four or five and being like, is there a way we could do something for our website where I can send like a text message and it would just post the text message on the website, which is basically Twitter. But I, I didn't know. I took that claim. I, I tell my wife all the time I invented Twitter and nobody like <laughs> believes me. Yeah, man. I, <laughs> I mean, I would be at Knicks games or Nets games and, and like I would want to write a joke or something I thought of in the moment. And I thought it would be great if we could put this on the slam website without me having to like launch you know, HTML software and then load it through a server and all this crap. Like if there was, and I, I remember asking like our tech support people, is there a way I can just like send a text message and it'll automatically post on there? And the answer was no at the time, you know, this is like before comment sections even existed, much less uh, anything like that. But yeah. So, I, I mean, th th there've been a lot of ideas like that, that have kind of flashed through my head that if I had thought of them 10 years later, probably would have been much more lucrative than they turned out to be. Well, with Slam, uh, let's 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 go to that. Um, you know, how do you go from alt weeklies down in Atlanta to uh, to Slam Magazine? I mean, basketball was always my passion. I, I played basketball in high school. Um, I played my whole life, and then when I got to college, I, I realized there wasn't like a huge market for like slow six foot tall point guards. So. I'd kind of transition more to the writing side of things. Um, but slam was my favorite thing to read. I, you know, when I was that first year I wrote for a living full-time, I think I made like $13,000 or something. I had no money. So I would go to Kroger at night or the, whatever the grocery store was and just read the magazines on the newsstands and then put them back. Cause I couldn't afford to buy them, but I would see magazines that I thought I could write for. And I would tear out the subscription cards and like write the names of like the managing editor or whoever was, I could, you know, figure out, I could get in contact with whatever their email address was. A lot of times would be written in the magazine. I'd write that down on those little cards, the subscription card, take it with me and email the people and try to get a gig. And with Slam, I, I read it and I was like, wait, this is like my world. You know, it's like basketball and music and all this stuff kind of coming together. And um, from what I could tell, reading the magazine, they didn't really have anyone in the South. I was in Atlanta and uh, I thought, well, maybe I could be a fit here. So I emailed them, pitched some articles, got assigned like a 200 word little thing in the front of the book and just kept pitching them, kept coming up with ideas and eventually started writing features for them. Um, and, you know, got to the point where I was writing one or two features almost every issue. And then uh, my girlfriend at the time, now my wife was also in Atlanta and she got a job offer in New York city, um, which was always kind of her goal to get to New York. And uh, my goal was just to like get a check every two weeks. I didn't know from where I just trying to stay financially solvent. Um, but I, I called uh, Russ Bankson, who was the editor of Slam, and we'd gotten to know each other. And I called Russ and I was like, hey, uh, my girlfriend might be moving to New York. I'm thinking about it too. I don't know if you guys have any like open you know, jobs. He was like, actually, we're hiring an online editor. You know, If you want that job, you can have it. <laughs> and so I called my wife and I was like, I got a job. <laughs> Who needs an, a degree or an alumni network, man? You got the hustle. <laughs> well, she, she was like, it took me two years to get a job in New York and it took you two minutes. But, <laughs> you know, I mean, but the, the bigger picture there, and like I, I talk to people about this all the time, like it sort of goes back to the alumni network. It's, it's who you know, really, you know, like it's so much of this stuff is who you know and who you've gotten to know and who knows you, who trusts you that you're able to do whatever the job is that that's out there. And um, so that was 2001 moved to new york city um as a kid and, and basically launched helped launch slam online it existed but there was no general plan for content or anything like that when i got there um so you know we, we started writing stuff and throwing it up there i mean did that fall on your lap in terms of a, a content strategy it's and how old were yeah. we at the time i don't know 22 three something i was young i i remember though that uh we were doing um there was all this old content from the magazine that I thought, Oh, well, that'd be easy. We can just like repurpose. Yeah. All this old stuff and kind of set up, use the old photos and all that stuff. Like nobody thought about like 
copyrights or anything like that. We were just, welcome to blogging in the early uh, yeah. 2000s. I just, I was like, we'll just post it and it'll be fine. And but then I kind of realized like you need something new every day, right? Like you, you need something to have people come back every single day. Um, and I saw like a, you know a lot of people are aggregating stuff. Bill Simmons had his website, the Boston Sports Guy, and he would do like links to like sports stories every day. And there was like Jim Romanesco had a thing on Pointer.org where he would do like media links every day. And so I was like, maybe we could do like NBA links every day where we just link to NBA stories. So I started a column called The Links and figured I'd get it up at a certain time every day. So somehow it became two or two thirty every single day. I would get it posted. Um, and then I just realized like, all right, you, like I have to do it every day, five days a week. Like you can't take a day off. You just have to do it to get people to come back and build this community. Um, and you know, I did that every day for seven, eight years, something like that. And that was kind of how the whole thing started. And we kind of built it out from there. What was the focus at, at slam? I'll say slam proper, right? Was the, website uh looked at as its own vehicle or was it something to promote the print magazine slash subscriptions etc circulation I, I mean i don't even know if there was that much strategy behind it at first <laughs> it was just a thing that existed and at first like no one really kind of had an idea what to do with the website and once i started writing stuff you know every single day and we started like getting actual eyeballs on it and new people coming to it um it became, yeah, like you say, a way to promote the magazine. Um, we would run ads in the magazine for the website. Um, I remember at one point, though, we, we had a photo shoot with some NBA player. I don't even remember who. And I was going to go write the article for the magazine. And they were like, here, take this video camera. And maybe you can shoot some content for the website, too. And I was like, you know, at some point, we should decide if Slam is a magazine with all this other stuff attached. Or are we just like a content company? And a magazine is an arm of that. And I think now that's probably closer to what it is. The magazine still kicks ass and comes out, you know, pretty regularly. I think it's bi-monthly now or something like that. But the magazine still is is sort of the thing that I think is the flagship of it. But now the, the website, the Twitter account, all that stuff, the Slam accounts all over the place are, are just blowing up. And I think it's kind of transitioned into more of like a, a, a full media company than it was 20 years ago. Uh, you know, one thing for me, just thinking about the role, you guys, I mean, it feels crazy to even, you know, think, but to think back for those who weren't around of sneaker culture wasn't, or sneaker culture was a thing. There wasn't really a lot of places that it lived, not nearly yeah. to the extent now. I mean, you guys were really one of the early catalysts of that online, I think, right? Yeah. I was watching um, an NBA game the other night and on the court, there was an ad, it said, Bleacher Report kicks, BR kicks. And it, I was thinking, you know, like we slam started that kicks as the word, I think, to, to describe shoes. I think I have um, Ben's book, uh, Ben yeah. Osmore's book is is kicks, right? Yeah, yeah. slam kicks. Yes. And, and, you know, Russ Bankson, who was the editor when I started, like he would sit there all day on nikeytalk.com, which was like a message board about sneakers. And he would post all day long about shoes. Like we all really cared about it. Like it wasn't like it was something that we thought, oh, there's a hole in the market here. We can capitalize on this and write about shoes and stuff. Like we, genuinely cared about shoes and sneakers and that culture. And I think for all of us, like we wanted to write about shoes and kicks, like to, to us, that was a part of the NBA world. And I think a lot of the old media outlets just thought of the NBA as just what happens on the court and slam. We always kind of looked at it as everything involved with it from what the players wore to the games, to the cars, to the shoes, to the music, all that stuff. We kind of realized that that basketball and the NBA was like a full, holistic lifestyle thing, not just what happens on the court. I think now though, you see like a lot of these other brands and outlets really try and make it the whole picture instead of just what happens on the court. There's two things that really always stuck out with slam. And I think you've already always articulated actually uh, in BWB six, we had a, a slam panel. I, uh, ben was there. Scoop Jackson was on it. But the, the one thing that kept coming through is that it was always viewed at least internally as a culture magazine, not as a basketball magazine. I also remember when I was working with Curtis blow for a bit, you had that, what was, what was that feature called where you had the musician and the yeah. basketball player? Yeah, I can't remember what it was called. It was later when I was there, but yeah, it was like an NBA player and a, a rapper from that city discussed stuff. Yeah. And, and the other thing that always stood out is something that you told me to talk about going on these shoots is that you always have such a good rapport with players, particularly as they moved on in their career, because yeah. when they were coming out of high school, when they had never been on a magazine cover, slam was the first, 
to put them on there. And they always remembered that and always had yeah. a fond feeling and respect for the magazine. Um, you know, some examples of that, that, that you can think yeah, of. Yeah. I mean, as far as the music stuff goes, I'm actually sitting here talking to you guys. I'm going to turn this around because on my wall right here, I have like all these old slam covers, um, that Stefan Marbury cover right there. There's, that was like when the outcast and Coney album came out. And we were all just like organically listening to the album nonstop at work. And there's something like 48 Stankonia references in that issue that we just sprinkled throughout it just because we liked the album. Like we just thought it'd be fun to do. And there's all throughout that issue, there's all these different random outcast references. Um, so like as far as a culture thing, like, yeah, but but that was not like a decision we made. That was just who we were. And that was, you know, our, our boss just gave us the freedom to kind of do what we wanted and just let us do it. And, so whatever we could get in there, we would, um, as far as like players and, and relationships and stuff. Yeah. Like, you know, most of these t times, most of these guys, the first time they were ever in a magazine was, uh, they were in slam when they were in high school. So, and slam was always to them. I think the magazine that they felt comfortable with, they felt safe with, you know, they, they knew we weren't out to get them. We just wanted to tell stories and good stories. So they would be open with us and, and talk to us. Um, you know, uh, LeBron, I think was in slam when he was a freshman in high school. And, um, even now, like, you know, it's one of the magazines he follows on Twitter. It's one of the things he actually gives time to, um, when he doesn't really give a lot of people one-on-one -on -one time, you know, when he signed with the heat, he did two interviews. One was ESPN and one was with me for slam. Um, so a, a lot of those guys just through the years, um, I'm um, looking at Shaq, Stefan, uh, Carmelo, Rashid, KG, Kobe, all these guys um, were always really good to slam and Sam was always good to them. Kevin Durant does a podcast now. Um, and somebody was, I, all of a sudden I got all these tweets a couple of weeks ago, tagging me in it, that he did an issue about slam and how important slam had always been to him. And they talked about me and Russ in this podcast. So like, it's pretty wild how far the whole thing came and how it, you know, the fact that the NBA players are doing podcasts talking about us is, is pretty <laughs> remarkable. I actually just finished the big payback by Dan Charnas um, about the history of hip hop. And it, it sounds what you just described basically sound like how they started the source. It was like yeah. the basketball version of the source. This is just stuff that guys were passionate about and it just came freely and it was a safe spot because they were, you know, they were fans first. Well, and the guys, the people who started Slam started Double XL magazine, and we had the same offices as Double XL. So, like, we were like, whether we wanted to be or not, we were literally ingrained in the hip hop world and the culture and the music. Every new album that came was played 20 times before it was on the radio, and we all heard it. So, we were able to sprinkle references into that, you know, in the magazine. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. It was, it was pretty, looking back on it, it was pretty magical and it was really cool the way it all kind of worked out and happened. And, you know, there's no way to plan that stuff. Like it just happened. And, um, you know, I, I feel really fortunate to have been a part of it. Well, we have um, a Corey Wilson is going to be on next week's show, who is a PR guy over at Condé Nast and GQ. So you go from this sort of uh, freewheeling culture magazine to, to big publishing and, and Condé Nast. And I, I always joke that, um, you know, they used to come to our blogs of balls and just recruit writers. And, um, <laughs> you know, I don't want to take credit for that, but, you know, you're one of the guys that, you know, kind of came along with that. And uh, so what was that transition like from, uh, you know, from Slam to GQ? So uh, I was at Slam full time for ten years or so, and I got to the point where I I would get off the subway in the morning and walk to the office. And it was a couple blocks; it wasn't far. But I got to the point where I just I, I hated it. Like I would walk, take that same walk every single day, and I was just like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Like same office, same walk, same thing. Everything been going on for ten years. I still love the job. Still love. I mean, I get to write about basketball every day. Like it's great. But I was just tired of it. I knew like something was going to change, something needed to give. And so um, when I left Slam, I, I signed a deal with them to be a contributing editor where I like wrote one feature a month or something like that. And But I didn't have to go to the office anymore. I could work from home. Um, and it gave me freedom to kind of do other stuff. And I didn't know what the other stuff would be. I just figured, well, there's other things I could do out there that I'd like to do. We'll see what happens. Um, and again, back to, to Nathaniel Bethlehem Scholes, he had been at, uh, writing a, an NBA blog for GQ for uh, two years or so. They had started this NBA blog. Um, he was leaving to go work, I think, at an agency full time um, and uh, couldn't do it anymore. And he was like, do you think you might be interested in taking it over? And I was like, 
sure. And so he introduced me to Devin Gordon, who at the time I think was the articles editor or something, but Devin, that NBA blog was kind of under Devin's purview. And um, yeah, Devin actually did an event with us at, uh, for NFL. So he's, yeah. he's on our panel. So he was a good dude. Yeah. He's great. So Devin and I went to drinks one night, kind of hit it off. Um, even though he's a Mets fan, we kind of were able to see eye to eye. And, uh, he was like, why don't, why don't you do it? Be our NBA blogger. So I spent like two years being GQ's NBA blogger and, you know, writing a column, I think a couple times a week and interviewing players, um, writing about whatever was sort of newsworthy at the time. Uh, and I, I also wrote for the New York times in that, in that time period for a while, I freelanced a bunch of stuff for them. Um, still wrote for slam. It was about two or three years and it was just kind of a time where I was able to do lots of different stuff. Um, especially for the New York times, it was fun to write about, you know, I interviewed like Rob Deerdeck and I did a story on the NFL red zone channel and just kind of random things outside of that basketball world. Um, and it was fun to kind of like, to flex that muscle a little bit and do different stuff. Um, and with GQ, even I was able to write interview and write about people outside of basketball from I interviewed Pele and, and just random sports related people, um, for a couple of years there. Um, and then my wife got pregnant and, uh, I was like, all right, I gotta get like a job, <laughs> a full-time job here. Um, so I started looking around and, and, uh, NBA digital was looking for somebody to kind of take over this all ball blog they had, which was sort of like, uh, their viral content blog stuff. And, uh, it was pretty good timing. And so I could work from New York and do that. And, uh, that's how I kind of ended up there. How comfortable were you going from uh, the writing side to the uh, in front of the camera side? Was that natural for you? No, not at all. <laughs> I mean, because <laughs> I mean, there, here you are. <laughs> yeah, I, I never like took a class in it. I had never had anyone teach me how to do it. When I it started when I was at Slam, actually, I'd kind of NBA uh, TV called and they were like, "We're going to do this show called The Beat, and it's going to be like a weekly." NBA news, you know, what people are talking about, beat writers are talking about. Um, they had a, I think the host was Mark Fine the first year and, they, and David Aldridge was going to be like the main news person. And then they wanted someone to kind of do like the kind of offbeat, you know, fun viral type stuff. And they asked me if I would do that. And um, I was like, yeah, sure. And it was the same sit setup. I was on Skype with a headset on from my desk at Slam. But the first show I did, like, I watched it back on TV that night. I was like, you know, how hard can this be? You just talk. And if you can like talk for 20 or 30 seconds without going, um, uh, and if you can make a joke in there too, like you're gold. Right. So it's not that hard. And I watched the first show back and the, the, you see the little heads on the screen. And like, I just figured when I'm not talking, I was just sitting there like this, like straight face, just, and then I, I realized what are you like, supposed to do? Like help us out again. We're, we're flying, we're flying well, blind here. <laughs> if you, if you watch it back, like, I mean, I looked like a hostage video. Like, I, I mean, I looked terrified and I noticed I looked right next to me on the screen and I see David Aldridge, who's clearly, you know, like he's in the freaking basketball hall of fame. Like he's great at this. And I see David Aldridge and he's like this. And in person, if you and I were sitting next to each other and you see me sitting there like this, like it looks weird, but on TV, for whatever reason, that's what you're supposed to do. So you sit there and you smile and on TV, it translates as just like a normal look. So you just sit there and you go. All right, Don, now you know what I'm yes. doing. I'm doing this from now on. <laughs> not that I just ate a, I ate a gummy or something like that. It's that I'm just I'm trying to up our production values from here. So, yeah. So I just started watching David Aldridge every week when we would do the show and I would just do what David was doing. And that was kind of how I learned what to do on this thing. It, it strikes me that you went from a place that, like you said, was sort of culture at the core of it was very sort of bottom up what's going on out there and kind of bringing that to somewhat, which I think was a lot of the people that we talked to becoming the, the cool guy at traditional public, the, the digital slash culture guy. A, is yeah. that, is that an apt description? And B, what was that, what was that like in terms of thinking back on that walk where you decided you were sick of it? Were there moments where you're like, I'm now on the, this other side and what did I give up? To, what what yeah. did I make I, for a different commute? I think that's, I think that's accurate. And there, I mean, there's clearly times where, uh, when I was like an NBA.com or whatever, I, or I would think of a joke or think of something that I would tweet. And I was like, no, I can't tweet that you know, or like something that you would, I mean, it, it happened at slam too. Like slam got big enough in the 
early 2000s to where at first when we were doing it, it was like, we can make this thing and we just put it out there and no one cares. Like we can make, but then it got to the point where like, it was big enough that like we knew whenever we would write something about somebody, they were going to see it. Uh, it was going to get back to them eventually. So we had to like, think about that when you would tweet something like, is this something that you're okay having your name on or, or you're okay if it gets back to the person. And when I got to, um, which should be a rule of thumb in general, yeah, <laughs> just be a good person. If you're yeah. a good person, just keep that stuff in mind. hundred percent. It should be, I think, but you know, late, later on GQ, when I was there or, or, um, NBA.com or whatever. Yeah. It, it, I had to figure out where the line is. Like, how can you be funny? I mean, it, it's tougher. It's sort of like being a stand-up comedian and not cursing, right? Like it, it's so easy. I think if you're a stand-up to throw a curse word in there and make everyone laugh, but if you can do it without that, like it's, it's sort of a high wire act, but if you can do that, like it's a lot harder, but it, it's a lot more satisfying, I think, and, and a lot more genuine to me. And and so I, I always just tried to figure out the way to, to be funny without being mean. Any, any lessons learned the hard way you could share any moments where something got out that you had to uh, answer? No, not too bad. I mean, the, the one that the story that always goes around is um, Rashid Wallace was going to be on the cover of slam. Um, and he liked slam. I called the blazers. I was like, Hey, I'll, I'll come out there and interview him. He agreed to do a photo shoot and an interview. I was like, should I come out to Portland? And they're like, no, no, it's good. You can just, uh, we were coming, the Blazers were coming to New York. He'll talk to you when we're in New York. I was like, great. So I go to the shoot around that morning and, and introduce myself or she's like, Hey, can we talk at the game tonight? Uh, you know, like pregame. And I was like, okay, but I need like, it's a cover story. Like I'd like 15, 20 minutes. That's not usually going to happen pregame or postgame. And he's like, no, 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 don't worry. It'll happen. So pregame, I go in the locker room and he's like, Hey, can we talk after the game? And I'm like, Oh, this is like not looking good. Cause after the game, the teams are like hurrying to get on the bus and get out of there. And so I was like, okay. So then the game happens and he gets a technical foul. And like, it's not, I'm just like, he's not going to be in the mood to like, tell me about when he learned how to shoot a jump shot in eighth grade or whatever. And so the game ends and I go to his locker and I'm there with like four or five beat writers. And, uh, I go, uh, we're all waiting for him to get dressed and he turns around and he goes, uh, all right. I'm, uh, he, he looks at me. He's like, what's up? And I was like, Hey, so, uh, I think these guys might have some questions like for the newspaper, they're on deadline for tonight. Um, and somebody's like, Rashid tonight in the game. And he's like, no, no, I'm only talking to him and points at me. And I'm like, so I was like, she, like these guys are like, they probably just have two questions if you don't. And he's like, no, I'm only talking to you. And so I go, I'm like, what am I supposed to do? Like all the beat writers are looking at me and, and I'm like, they're all angry. So I, I go, uh, Rashid in the game tonight, you guys got down by 10, made a big comeback late in the game. How were you guys able to pull that out? And he answers and all the beat writers got an answer. And then I asked like one more question about the game and they all got an answer. And then they all left to go complain about him. And, and then he talked to me for a while about stuff, you know, five, 10 minutes and he leaves. So did you, ever get I, the, did you ever get the photo shoot? Uh, yeah, we did. We did that in Portland. Okay. And, but then I had to write the article. So in the article, I was like, how do you like tell the whole story of Rashid? Like, you know, um, like that's sort of the, the way that, that went down in the locker room. That's sort of why we like him, right? Like, yeah, none just, of that sounds out of character. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we, we like that he's can, can be a jerk sometimes and that's what makes him fun and fun to watch and different than everyone else. And so in the article I wrote, I ended it with that whole thing just as a Q and a, I transcribed the whole thing of the reporters asking what's going on or she, I'm only talking to him and all that. And I ended it with that. And I was like, well, you know, we'll see if he gets angry or something. And a couple of weeks later was the all-star game in Washington, DC. And at like two in the morning, we go in some hotel bar and Rashid's standing there and, uh, sees me and gives me like a head nod. And I walk over to him and I'm like, Hey, uh, you know, I, I was just, trying to kind of tell tell the story and be honest he was like oh yeah the story was great <laughs> so, <laughs> i was like oh good <laughs> and after that he would like give he would talk to me pre-game give me quotes for other stories secondaries like other guys would go up to the locker room he's like no no, no i'm not i don't talk pre-game then he would like let me sit there and talk to him for five or ten minutes so he was always great to us so 
before before heading down to uh, to Memphis and we, we kind of go down south, I'm, I'm trying to figure out how we connected. I'm not even 100% sure of how we – it might have just been an unsolicited email saying, hey, Lang, we're – oh, you know what? It was uh, Jalen Rose, and we were looking for somebody yeah. from Slam uh, to talk at BWB2 with, with Jalen Rose. Vegas, we, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but, you know, some of, I, I've had some fun times with you, man, up in, up in New York, and I think, um, you know, I, I remember I think we were at the NBA All-Star game. I think we were – on 33rd street, probably having a beer. Uh, I think the day Michael Jackson died, right? Oh, yeah. We were together then. And I remember some great times like me, you, Delario, I think Max Thompson joined us just, you know, grabbing a bite and a beer and just really been fascinated with, with the work and especially like these outlets that you've been at. Um, so again, before we kind of move forward, I, I was just going to ask you how we met. And I think it was just kind of an unsolicited, uh, I email think so. yeah, I, I remember going out to the blogs of balls and Bay. I remember the first one happened. Um, and I, I wasn't part of that. And then the Vegas one was, I think Shoals was there. So this is the, you just got to follow Shoals's footsteps. (laughs) He does one. You do too. (laughs) He's a a trailblazer. Um, (laughs) I I ended up in Vegas at that one. It was me and I did a panel with Jalen and I think Rob King and maybe Bankoff was on it. Like, um, that's a random one, but yeah, yeah, it was talking about like just kind of the future of blogs and sports media and stuff. But that I'm pretty sure that's how we met. Yeah. What was your impression out there in Vegas? We always joke that that's kind of the anomaly of what we've done because it was so like sort of corporate, but everybody kind of goes back to the ESPN zone and to, yeah. um, to poker tournament. It was, it was a good time, but um, yeah, I, I think we even have a video. I mean, you had, you had a great just quote about like just the community and the bloggers and the people themselves, you know, looking back to 2009 ish, yeah. you know, what was your impression of, of the industry and, and what was percolating amongst the, the community? I felt like I, I was always a little bit sort of outside of like that blog community because like I was doing it for a, a corporation. Like I had a, I was getting a check every two weeks and I wasn't like one of these people who must be nice. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't one of these people who had like a job doing something else and was just doing it at night, you know, for fun. And then it turned into this something. But I remember going out there to Vegas and being impressed first of all, with like how organized the whole thing was. And it was a big deal. Like, you know, there was all these people from all these different places. And it was the first time I'd met in person. A lot of those people, um, I had either like exchanged emails with them or they had commented on our blog or we commented on theirs and that kind of thing. But I'd never met in person, a lot of those people. So that was fun for me was to, to actually get to meet a lot of the people behind the bylines that I had known. Yeah, and on the basketball side, I mean, it's just such a strong group of guys. I mean, I think he, out in Vegas, man, I think Zach Harper was out there. I know Skeets was on a panel, right? The TBJ guys. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the basketball has always been sort of over the NBA coverage online has always been so far ahead of them. I think um, Mitch German, when he was with the Kings, used to say a lot of that came from the league itself is that the commissioner on down gave the teams and gave people autonomy to embrace some of this new stuff. Was that kind of your feeling too? Is that in the sport from the top down, they, they gave you a lot of creative freedom to go out and try new things? I mean, I think if you look from the top down, like just the, the NBA has never been one of those leagues that like went after people for posting clips on Twitter or these other places like the NFL does and MLB, especially, you know, like, um, and I think the NBA's sort of general, especially this came from David Stern, like his general thing was, you know, um, all attention is going to be good attention in the long run. And we'll, you know, as long as you're not showing the entire game on some YouTube channel or something, but these little clips that happen, like still, like, you know, you see them, you'll, you'll see People get stuff taken down all the time from MLB and the NFLs probably looser than they used to be. But the NBA is always just kind of in the wild West, like take all this stuff, make all the content you can. Um, and also I think just, you know, the NBA is, it's just the frequency of games makes it where there's just stuff happening all the time, every day. And with the NFL, you get one game a week, you know, MLB it's, it's, a, there's still a lot of games, but you're playing the same team days in a row. And I think with the NBA, it just feels like it's just always fresh and always new. And there's always something different to write about. So um, for, from a content perspective, there's it, it, sort of a goldmine out there. Yeah. And speaking of new and fresh, and I don't want to belabor the point because I feel like you've, you've talked about Memphis uh, and, and Grizz gaming, um, you know, quite a bit and, and how you've gotten there and how you've adapted. Um, and, you know, I 
you know, tell a little bit about that. But I, I think really where my interest lies is, um, you know, any parallels that you see to say those, you know, those early slam days with the community that you deal with now. Yeah. Um, the, the quick backstory for Grizz Gaming was um, while I was at NBA.com, they had me do a podcast with uh, with Sacred Smith, who's one of my long friend, longtime friends. And then Rick Fox, who was um, retired from the NBA and was working for NBA Digital. And I didn't know Rick at all, really. They just kind of said, you, you three guys are going to do this podcast together. But Seiko and I were like, you know, well, we'd known each other forever. And we were, we're this is one of my, my, one of my best friends. We're like, we'll figure out how to make this work. And then it turned out Rick became one of my best friends. Like, he was just a great guy. Um, we did a podcast every day. I mean, once a week for a couple of years. And you just get to know somebody. And then we talk offline. Also. So at the time rick was also starting echo fox which was an esports company and no one really knew what it was we heard rick talk about it and he'd tweet about it and i didn't no one knew what esports was it was just starting um and i used to make fun of him all the time because those first couple of years they they were terrible they would lose all the time and i said they were the lakers of esports and he, <laughs> i would just give it to him all the time but then they became good and they started getting like you'd see him Echo Fox listed in these Forbes valuations of companies and they were getting, you know, investments from all these other places. And so I was like, Oh wait, this is like a, really a thing like this. If you do it the right way, the esports can be huge. Um, so we've been in New York for, I don't know, 15 years, something like that. And, and my wife and I are both ready to get out. Um, our son was four years old. Um, my family's in Atlanta. Her family's from Atlanta too. We just, we want to get somewhere closer to the South near our families where we could have a yard, all that stuff. Um, and, uh, my contract was up with NBA digital. My wife was like, you know what? You should tweet it. Like you have a big Twitter following tweet out that you're a free agent. See what happens. I was talking to other people in New York. I had a couple things kind of lined up that I, thought, well, I'll just go take this job and do it for a year or two and figure out like a kind of a longer term exit strategy. But I tweeted it and like half an hour later, Mike Wallace called me from Grind City Media here, who I'd known forever. He used to be at ESPN. Um, and he was like, hey, they like we saw that you tweeted this. Like we're looking for somebody. Um, everyone here knows your name, knows who you are. They, they want to talk to you. So let's talk. And so we started talking, um, came down, spent a weekend here in Memphis. I'd been here a bunch for um, NBA playoffs, for NBA.com, covering games the last four or five years. So I'd kind of seen how the downtown area was kind of hitting this renewal, and there was all this, like, you know, warehouses getting turned into lofts and lots of people moving to Memphis. And I, I had always enjoyed coming here. So uh, my wife and I came down, spent a weekend. We were like, yeah, this, this seems like a good deal. And the Grizzlies were like, we want you to do content for this Grind City Media. We can talk about that in a minute, but also run Grizz Gaming. Um, so the NBA took the, the video game NBA 2K, which um, is the most popular basketball game. The people who make it, Take Two Interactive, the NBA partnered with them to start a league around the game. So this first year, the, the 2K League, 17 NBA teams had a team in this league. Um, flew back and forth to New York, played all our games in a TV studio in Long Island City, um, which were all streamed on Twitch and and uh, whatever. Now they're on YouTube also and other places. But uh, that was kind of the genesis of it. And the Grizzlies were like, look, um, you know, who knows how the team does the first couple of years, but you know content. And we can at least do a lot of content around this and, and try to win at the content side and figure out the business side of this as we go. And I called Rick Fox. I was like, Rick, like, I, I don't, understand esports really um but i what do you think about this he's like look you understand basketball and he was like the esports part like nobody understands that esports is five years old you can figure that out as you go but let's figure because you'll know the basketball part you can do that part and i think this is something you'd be really good at so it's there is like this community though like slam like there's this 2k community that exists out there that I think people don't really know a lot about, and you know, these kids who play the game for money against each other that in the off season, and they had people who kind of played the game full time and were able to to make a living off of doing it. And I think the NBA was really smart to kind of go after that audience. And now there's all these kids from you know 14 to 30 year olds who who play 2K that are that are watching this thing, and um, we're about to start season four now. Yeah. So you, you said it, you've been at it for a while and you were there in these sort of early days we talked about with slam and well before the hype beasts of the world and all had made sneaker culture yeah. million dollar business. Like, where do you, where do you feel like it's at 
right now from a esports esports as it relates to ba- an extension of basketball culture kind of how it's all growing as you're as you're so close to it yeah it's been interesting like the first year or two like you know i i spent a lot of time just educating people um especially people like our age and up who who don't play video games who don't understand what esports are and you know i would go speak to like the rotary club here or season ticket holders or that kind of thing just explain hey, you know, like this is going to be a, a $1.5 billion industry in 20, well, it was in 2020. Like it, it's a huge thing. So just because you don't know about it doesn't mean it's not important or it doesn't exist was sort of like my message to a lot of people. Um, but then I'd go speak at like a high school or something like that. I spoke at a local high school, actually, and the, the headmaster had to get up and like cut off the question period at the end because he was like, that's the most engagement we've ever had at one of these things. The kids are asking me like these really detailed questions about the game and about like, what you know, what archetype would you use at the small forward position? Like it was incredible to see like the, the knowledge they have of it. Um, you know, when we started the league, one of the guys on our team um, set the single game scoring record the first season. He scored 84 points in a game. And the next week we were at the airport flying back to New York and the TSA guy says to me, he goes through the line in front of me. The TSA guy says to me, like, he's looking at my license. He goes, you think he'll break the record this week? So I was like, wow, like, like people are taking notice of this thing. Like people on the street would stop me and be like, hey, that's a cool Grizz gaming hat and stuff like that. Um so it's been really fun for me and kind of gratifying the last four years to watch this thing grow and, and sort of kind of become what it has become. Speaking of the ignorance of, of us old people um, and, and the, you know, the growth opportunity on the business side of it, do you see a lot of uh, dumb moves, I would say, on sort of the corporate side, just trying to, um, you know, find a foothold in, in the industry? Uh, and, and I mean that in the sense of, oh shit, knee-jerk reaction, we need to get involved in this and not really knowing how or why or what to get involved with it. So it might be a nice windfall of money, but you know, is it? Um, are they doing it intelligently? I think you see a lot more people doing it intelligently. Like, uh, you know, I think it, it, the first couple years of the thing when it was just starting out and people would see, you know, Ninja streaming on Twitch and there'd be a million people watching or whatever. Like, and those are like real numbers. You see it on the screen. Like you saw how many viewers there are. And I think you saw a lot more companies who were just like, oh, we got to get involved. What do we do? Now I think you're seeing a lot more um, companies that aren't really endemic to the space, but understand like what they need to do to, to fit in and, and to kind of respect that uh, community and, and figure that out. Like, um, you know, uh, this year with, with the 2K League, DoorDash uh, in the playoffs last year became one of the um, became one of the, like presenting partners. And in the 2K League playoffs, they were like, "Hey, like get something delivered, like get some food, <laughs> get like watch the games." You know, it makes sense the way they were doing it. Um, and I think for like uh, for my guys, like you know, Champions, one of our clothing partners, they do like all the clothing stuff, and like that's that's like clothes my guys would wear like that's something that's like part of the community and it's, it's a good fit i think um for a lot of these companies though like they see esports and they see those the numbers of a the eyeballs and b the the age of the people that are involved and and, and see like how the profit that's there and a lot of like especially like the bigger you know like league of legends and the, the huge leagues fortnite all that stuff so um a lot of these companies are seeing all that and getting more involved and i think um, I, I have to do less sort of explaining of the whole thing than I did three or four years ago. Uh, it's becoming a lot more sort of accepted. I mean, look, the, the, when last season, uh, all the guys got here in February, March, um, you know, my, the, the players on the team live in cities all around the, the North America, actually one of our guys, Toronto, and they all fly here and then live here during the season and then fly home. But they all flew here kind of right when the, the pandemic started, quarantine started. So we were all kind of here. Um, and the 2K League was able to pivot to where we played our games from our markets, um, you know, uh, against each other in other cities instead of flying to New York. Um, and there was no sports happening. So, like, all our games ended up on ESPN2, um, all, like, for the last six months. It, it was unbelievable. Like, I, I came home one night after one of my games. I sit on the couch, and one of my best friends from back in high school texts me. He's like, I can't believe you guys lost to Lakers gaming. <laughs> and I was like, like this is a guy three years ago would not have known a thing about the 2K League and thing, but it was on the crawl on ESPN. So Yeah, I feel like I saw uh, it on the uh, NBC like local affiliate. I think I saw yeah. Sixers gaming playing on there. So it wasn't just ESPN. The local affiliates, again, looking for games that weren't happening 
was yeah. filling the content with that. And I guess that partnership with the league is, is helpful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And having the league partnership certainly is helpful. You know, it's the first league that's done a partnership uh, with a game like this, you know, some of the other ones, <clears throat> there's some Madden um, kind of leagues. And I think also like the NBA game is just perfect though, for, for a team esport Cause it's five on five. Like if you're playing football, like, I mean, who wants to be the, you know, right guard or something like, I mean, <laughs> like no one wants to be on the offensive line. And I've seen soccer once before where they play 11 on 11 and there's 11 people on each team playing the game, but basketball is kind of the perfect number. The, the five on five sort of a magical fit. And it's, it's, it's been a lot of fun and it's been cool to watch this thing grow. And I, I I'm glad, I'm glad I got in when I did. And I'm glad we can just keep it going like this. It's been a lot of fun. One, one quick thing, just you hit on how this fits in within the larger grind city media idea, which I, yeah. I felt like when it launched and got a lot, got some attention was forward thinking. And you, you flash forward to a season like this or a year like 2020 and having a more robust content vision probably serves you guys really well. Could you just talk a little bit about yeah. grind city media? So the Grizzlies, uh, three years ago, four years ago, launched grind city media. So it's basically like our own in-house content, um, production company. So we, um, there's at this point, I don't know, seven, eight people here full time. Um, we have a morning show every morning, five days a week that streams on grindcitymedia.com. Um, it's an hour and a half. Chris Vernon is doing a show in 20 minutes from the studio right there. Um, he does a show every day, five days a week. Um, we do a, a sports gambling show that I co-host with uh, a couple guys every week. There's the, uh, I had to film a little video thing that we do once a week where we can argue about NBA topics. Uh, I write two columns a week cooking with Lang as part of this whole thing. Like it's basically like our own in-house uh, company that produces content. Um, and I think as you've mentioned, like, you know, at this time of the, uh, when this pandemic's happening and all this other stuff's happening, the media world has drastically shifted, you know, the past decade, I guess. Um, and it was really forward thinking by the Grizzlies to, to kind of say, look, we're going to bank on content and, uh, and produce our own content. We can cover us um, as good or better than anybody else can. So why don't we do that? So, you know, I'm here, Chris Vernon, who people know from the ringer podcast, Mike Wallace, who was at ESPN. Um, there's tons of people who are here now cranking out stuff every day. Um, you know, before the games, we do a live half hour show on Instagram where myself and Megan Triplett go sit in the arena and we use our phones. Uh, she sits on one side, I'll sit on the other side and we just talk back and forth. We talk to people in the chat. We use our phones, zoom in, watch the guys warming up just to get people interested in the game. Talk about what's happening with the team, you know, injury updates, lineup updates. Um, the other night we were doing it and John Morant was sitting courtside and uh, I said something about, yeah, John looked pretty good in the pregame warmups. And all of a sudden in the chat, John Morant types, hey, I heard I look good in the pregame warmups. So like the players are interacting like as it's happening. It, it's pretty wild like how, how it happens. And it, to be a part of all that from, from our side has been really cool for me. What do you think is um, on the horizon uh, in, in the gaming industry or, or the esports industry? I feel like a lot of people tend to play catch up. Uh, yeah. I feel like every, you know, um, Zoom conference that I see has a, has a focus on, you know, gaming and esports. Um, but again, what's, what's kind of next? Where does it go? Uh, if I knew that, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you guys about <laughs> You'd be on that <laughs> island with your uh, yeah. classical money. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know what's next. I, I, I do think you see people understanding the value of, of Twitch and like the immediacy of those kind of platforms um, a lot more. Like, you know, there, there's these games that become popular that nobody would see become popular. Fall Guys was a game earlier this year that just came out of nowhere and it's just these little kind of smurf like things that run around and climb things and fall down and um, became like just hugely popular, which, you know, nobody saw that coming. There's this game among us after that became, you know, crazy. Yeah, my, popular my kids are you, into that. Trying yeah. To kids are four, like, four employees <laughs> and 500 million monthly users. So a hundred per, yeah. per employee, there's 125 million monthly users. It's nuts. But, but I think you're also, you, you also see people like, like, uh, 
AOC was was using she was streaming uh, among us with other people like and she had a million people watching her and she can talk about oh you know like this is our healthcare plan or this is the green new deal but let's also play this game and have fun so I think like other people are kind of realizing we can take disease sports and use it to our advantage we can kind of cloak other things we want to talk about in esports, reach tons of people, do it live. There's no layers to go through. You don't have to sit down and let somebody else ask you the questions. Talk about whatever you want. Um, and I, I think you're seeing more and more people sort of take advantage of that. Is this where you uh, were? I don't want to say where you saw yourself, but uh, is this where you want to be? I mean, um, you know, if you had a, a choice to be elsewhere, would it be elsewhere? Or are you pretty content in here? No, I, I, to be honest, like, I, I, I love it. Like it's, it's, uh, I, I get to do stuff like, like we said earlier, like if I come up with an idea and it works great, do it, go make it happen. Um, I, I get to still be involved with the NBA from the team side. Um, and I get to do this esports thing where, I mean, for someone who played basketball in high school, you played football in high school. I know, I don't know Kyle, if what you did, but like, this is the closest I'll come to being a coach. You know, like when we play games, I am the coach. I'm telling, calling plays and timeouts and keeping track of things. And the game ends, like there was a game last year where it looked like we were going to lose. And I'm thinking in my head, all right, I'm going to have to give them like the speech of, well, that's the end of our season. We played hard, blah, blah, blah. And then we won the game. And then I had to like pivot and think, all right, now we got to fire up, think about the next game. So from that standpoint, like it, it's fun. It's fun. It's like being a coach. I, I just watched Ted Lasso on NBC and I was thinking it was I'm, just my, my staff meeting today. I was told to get a free subscription for yes. the month for Apple plus yeah, and watch that. But I watched the second, second reference in two hours. It's incredible. You have to watch it. There's no, that show has no business being as good as it does. <laughs> like it has such a flimsy plot and idea behind it. And then you watch it, you're like, this is great, but I'm stealing all those speeches next year for Grizz gaming to give the guys. I was already thinking like, I'm going to tell them, you know, what animal has the shortest uh, memory. That's right. The goldfish. We got to be goldfish this year. So like, I think there's a lot of that stuff that as a sports person and as a person who's always, you know, love the competition of it. I get to kind of scratch that itch also. Um, I get to have a yard and I get to, you know, go home and, and have a deck and sit outside and have sunshine, which I didn't get in New York City. So it it clicks a lot. It checks a lot of boxes for me. And um, it's also the first time I've, uh, I've ever worked for a, an actual team. You know, I've covered the NBA and I've um, from sort of outside, from the inside, all this stuff. But it's the first time I've had like a rooting interest in a team and uh that's been a lot of fun for me is to, to um you know to kind of live and die with every single night the results and what happens and you know we, we had a game last friday night and by the time we do we do like these post-game videos for social media where we wrap up the game and by the time i got home it's you know 10 30 10 45 and then i was back here at eight o'clock the next morning to do the morning show and you know parking lot's half full like people are back at it and you don't really think about sports teams, I think, from that standpoint of people who are just grinding 24-7, trying to make the thing happen and keep it going. How does a kid coming out of college, um, how do they go about it? Now, I know you talk a lot about you know just doing it, and but I, I feel like that space is a lot more crowded than it was yeah, you know, sure. 20 years ago. So you know, how's, how's a person that's looking to get into media, whether it's writing or digital or gaming or sports, um, how can they stand out at this point where I feel like everything is so oversaturated? Well, one thing I always tell, like, especially writers or, or kids who want to write or create content is like, you know, at this point, there, there's no barrier to entry, right? So you can start a Tumblr for free. You can start a YouTube account for free. You can edit videos on your phone. You can write on a, a, a laptop, whatever. Like, you don't, it's so cheap right now to be able to, to create whatever you want to create. So do it. Like there's no excuse for not doing it. If you want to create content, create it. So show me stuff you've done. Show me what you've been able to do. Um, and I, I think the way you kind of find your voice, you separate yourself is by just getting reps at it, just doing it over and over again and figuring out kind of what your lane is, but you're not going to do that without doing it. You know, I, I try to write every day. I try to write seven days a week. And sometimes that means I just write a long email to my dad or, or I spend a little more time editing something or whatever. But I remember like, John Irving is one of my favorite writers and I heard him speak 20 something years ago. And, and at the time, you know, he's one of like the, the best selling novelists of all time. And he's, and he said, Oh no, I, I write seven, eight hours a day. And I just kind of blew my mind. I was like, really? Like you write that much. And, but he, his point was, you know, 
LeBron James practices every single day. Every, like the best people in the world do what they do all day long and get better at it. And I think even as a writer, like you, you have to just keep doing it as a content person. You, you have to do it every single day or else it starts to kind of wither away and you kind of forget, you know, oh, that's right. I got to do this, that, or the other. The more you do it, the better you'll be at it. I think the flip side then is, you know, you also talked about the networks and yeah. and just pushing the right buttons and, and pushing that content in front of the right eyeballs until something clicks. Yeah, for sure. And and finding finding your audience and finding, you know, finding your tribe, basically, the people who kind of feel the same way you do about things and have the same references you have and all that stuff. Um, you know, I, I think that that's been a thing for me. And, you know, I'm I still get people on Twitter every day or on Facebook who comment on things I post who have been reading my stuff since Slam, you know, it's 20 years. And, and they've kind of just found me and stuck with me throughout all this and i recognize their names and kind of know things about their lives and it's pretty wild to you know once once your people find you and you find your people you know it's easier than ever now to kind of stay attached to them so she decide any um of your fondest memories uh in your career over you know over the past two decades like anything um, jump out at you I mean, I'm looking at these slam covers. There's tons. One of the most fun things was last year, John Morant was on the cover of slam and I got to write the cover story, um, which was cool. I, you know, I, was, I tweeted it out and I was like, you can go home again. Um, I, I was talking to the editor of slam, Adam Figman, who was an intern, I think when I was there, but last year and I was talking to him and I was like, Hey, when you, when you get time to do a Josh cover, just let me know. Like I, no one's watched it more than I have. Um, and I'd love to do it. And so that worked out. That was cool to be able to take my son to a, a slam cover shoot. And, um, there's a picture and, uh, Oh yeah. You had that on a uh, social, I believe. Yeah. yeah, yeah to yeah, be yeah. able to, so to be able to like do that was fun. The, the story that like, I still think about a lot. And I was thinking about this the other night was, uh, when I was at, I don't remember what year it was, uh, the Jordan brand shoes was coming out with like the air Jordan 23 or something. And they would have these junkets where they would fly you to whatever. And you'd talk to like the guy who designed the shoe and they would show you the shoe and all that stuff. And, uh, I think it was the Jordan 23 or something. They flew us all to Chicago. I remember scoop was there cause scoop lives in Chicago and they took us all to the United center took us in this locker room and they had lockers set up for each of us with full bulls uniforms with our names on the back and sneakers and all that. So we all get dressed and they have the PA announcer for the bulls. And he's like, you know, ladies, I'm the, and, it, and he introduces all of us and he gets to the end and he's like six, six guard from North Carolina, Michael and Michael Jordan runs out <laughs> and gives us each a high five, you know, for a bunch of basketball nerds. Like this is like literally God himself comes running out into the gym. That's and, awesome. uh, so we all get to sit down and then like, he does a little press conference with us where he just talks about the shoe, what went into it, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you know, I grew up in Atlanta in the eighties and, and Michael Jordan was sort of my enemy because Dominique, yeah, Dominique yeah. could never, we could never get past happy today's Dominique's birthday, by the way, happy birthday. Um, but Dominique and the Hawks could never get past Jordan. So it was frustrating to watch him, but I also respected like he was the best, but my dad loved Jordan and, and my dad would send me letters and stuff and write his name. You know, he'd sign it and put number 23 after his name and stuff. Like he loved Michael Jordan. So that night after the thing, we were, uh, we, they took us all out to dinner at one of Michael Jordan's restaurants in Chicago and we're sitting there eating. And one of the PR people is at our table and, uh, it was pretty laid back. They're serving drinks and stuff. And I asked, I turned to her and I was like, by the way, is, is Michael Jordan coming to dinner with us tonight? And she's like, no. And I said, well, he just walked in the room and I saw everyone like go on like DEFCON five, like all the PR people, the staff people, they're like, Oh no, he's not supposed to be here. What is happening? So they all jump up and kind of start figuring out what to do and situate him. Like, and I think he had just come to dinner at his restaurant, saw this happening and just wandered into the room. That's awesome. So, so he walks over to me and Russ uh, Bankston and just starts chatting. So like we stand up and how do you make small talk with Michael Jordan? You know, I'm like, so how many restaurants do you have? <laughs> like, I don't, I don't, you know, I'm just trying to like talk. Um, and we talked to him for a couple minutes, uh, super nice, really, you know, asking us questions about slam, blah, blah, blah. Um, and when it was over, he tells everyone goodbye and he has like a private dining room somewhere. So he stays five minutes, walks up. So I run outside the restaurant and call my dad back in Atlanta. And I was like, dad, you're not going to believe this. I'm telling him the story. And Jordan comes walking by for some reason out of the restaurant. There's like a Lamborghini or Ferrari or something parked there. And he comes walking by. And uh, I was like, dad, 
Jordan's walking by right now. And, uh, and he goes, tell him I said, hi. And I was like, Hey Mike, uh, thanks so much. It was awesome to meet you. My dad says hi. And he goes, tell him I said, hello. And I go, Hey dad. He goes, I heard, I heard. And I was like, all right, I'm just going to quit now. Like it's that, never going to get better than that. That's fantastic. Know? Well, sp- speaking of quitting now, I think that's a good way to a uh, high note to end it, but also how cool was seeing the, uh, slam mag in the shop on, uh, on soul. If you watched that. Uh, oh yeah, that was unbelievable. <laughs> somebody, do you, you want me to tell that real quick? Like somebody, sure, let's go. A bunch of people tweeted me last week. That movie soul came out. Uh, and there's a slam cover in the barber shop where the guy goes to get a haircut and in the background, there's a slam cover, and it's this one up here, the LeBron one. Let's see if I can see it up there, where the the, the kind of the new NBA logo, um, which was an idea we had when I was at Slam, and and Ben Osborne and I uh, were working on that cover. I went to Cleveland, we explained it to LeBron, he pulled it off. Um, I wrote that story, and then it ends up in a friggin' movie, a Pixar movie, you know? So like, <laughs> I, I, again, I, I tweeted that out. I was like, this is unbelievable. Like stuff we did 20 years ago is resonating today. in these other people, somebody on Facebook was like, did you get paid for that? And I was like, no, and I wouldn't want to be either. Like to me, that's something we just did that had an effect on some person that 20 years later, they were like, Oh, well, let's pay a little tribute to this thing that has rattled around in my brain for 20 years. And you know, it pays forward down the road somewhere, but I thought that was incredible. Well, I can't think of a better way to just sort of sum up a career is that stuff that you did 20 years ago is still resonating. Um, and so speaking of which, thank you for jumping on. Uh, yeah, you know, we've, we've been about half that time uh, in contact, but it's, it's really been a pleasure. And uh, you know, the insight that I think you're able to give a lot of us old heads, um, you know, into this new foray that you're in has really been appreciated as well. It's fun. Let me know when you guys want to play some 2K. Um, I'm not that good at the game, but I, I know some guys who, who are. Well, tell me if you can find a uh, Series X somewhere because I'm waiting on uh, buying uh, my, my new Assassin's Creed until I get the new box. I got I, the I Series S sitting right here, but I, I can't get an X yet. And I, I, I'm a PlayStation guy. And I cannot get a PlayStation 5. It's killing me. <laughs> well, uh, well, thanks, Lang. Thanks for joining. Uh, definitely a true OG in terms of all of the stories. It's awesome. I appreciate you guys. And um, like I said, that I remember going out to Vegas, that first blogs with balls and, and meeting you guys and thinking like, wow, like this is like really organized. There's like, <laughs> there's people behind this thing. Like this is a real thing. Like these guys, you we guys, fo- we fooled them, Kyle. We fooled them. The illusion worked. <laughs> I was like, these guys have actually figured this thing out. This is cool. Yeah. Yeah. And we'd be on that Island with you. <laughs> we did. So I'll save you on my time. Awesome. Well, Lang Whitaker, Kyle Bunch, thank you uh, for joining us this week. We'll see you guys next week and appreciate it. And uh, yeah, we'll see you soon.